Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled The Rapture, A Mystery, A New Thing, Part 4. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Please note, this will be more than a three-part series due to the depth of understanding we can learn from this subject. I am hoping to correctly answer many questions about this subject by using a scripture search technique many use frequently. There is a right and wrong way to use this technique, which makes it a dangerous technique to use. One of my hopes is to demonstrate the correct means of using this technique, since it is the only way to search for answers with respect to our being caught up from this world before it tumbles into the judgments outlined in the book of Revelation. Thank our glorious God for salvation in Christ. Last week was our third episode in this series titled The Rapture, A Mystery, A New Thing, Part 3, on June 19th. This podcast was a review of scripture we already covered to see if we overlooked anything specific. We dug deeper into what we previously learned to see if what is presently missing is lost to incorrect interpretation. It is not, as we found out. We further noted comments to a specific 24 elders and what appears to be a large group also referred to, more generally speaking, as elders. We also learned that a bishop and overseer were other names meaning elder in lower case, meaning an elder in a possible group of elders instead of an elder office for more specific reasons. Therefore, it quite strongly seems that the word elder in lower case is referring to the rest of us who may not think of ourselves as an elder, even in lower case. We learned further that the term, quote, elder, end quote, indicates a mature spiritual experience and understanding of those so described. We also learned the term bishop or overseer also indicates the character of the work undertaken by such a person. Can we presume that one who is a child of God is an elder? Is one who delves deeper into the work of God named by the work they do as a bishop or overseer? Lastly, we looked at three verses that have come up in our study of this subject found in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 31. Again, by another author, we learned that we are already in heaven. How does that work? To find out more, listen to our previous episode, The Rapture, A Mystery, A New Thing, Part 3. 
For more, listen to The Rapture, A Mystery, A New Thing, Parts 1 through 3. In this week's episode, we will look at one of two things. One, Revelation chapter 6 for some answers. Secondly, next week, we will examine more scripture to see if there is any mention of an ascension into heaven sans the date and time. Where can we find any such information, if in fact it exists? So far, all we have found is scripture telling us we are already in heaven. If true, how and when did we get there? Is that a question with an answer in scripture? That question, as I have said before, will be difficult to answer since we will never know the date and time of his coming. Only that he is coming. I know we have asked that question many times already. So, we will look for the answer. First, let us look at an expository account of chapter 6, since the focus of the book of Revelation now changes in what is recorded in it. This chapter contains an account of the opening of six of the seven seals. It need hardly be said to anyone who is at all familiar with the numerous, not to say numberless, expositions of the Apocalypse that it is at this point that interpreters begin to differ, and that here commences the divergence towards those various, discordant, and many of them wild and fantastic theories which have been proposed in the exposition of this wonderful book. Up to this point, though there may be unimportant diversities in the exposition of words and phrases, there is no material difference of opinion as to the general meaning of the writer. In the epistles to the seven churches, and in the introductory scenes to the main visions, there can be no doubt in the main as to what the writer had in view and what he meant to describe. He addressed churches then existing, and set before them their sins and their duties, and he described scenes passing before his eyes as then present, which were merely designed to impress his own mind with the importance of what was to be disclosed, and to bring the great actors on the stage, and in reference to which there could be little ground for diversity in the interpretation. Here, however, the scene opens into the future, comprehending all the unknown period until there shall be a final triumph of Christianity and all its foes will be prostrate. There is no certain designation of places. There is no mention of names, as there is in Isaiah chapter 45 verse 1 of Cyrus, or as there is in Daniel chapter 8 verse 21, chapter 10 verse 20, chapter 11 verse 2 of the king of Grecia. There is no designation of time that is necessarily unambiguous, and there are no characteristics of the symbols used that make it going before, preceding, or antecedently certain that they could be applied only to one class of events. From 
Barnes New Testament notes. That commentary passage gives us a bit more insight. So, how does this change in the content of the book of Revelation work? Starting in chapter 6, we see the opening of six of the seven seals that Christ will now open. So, that being true, and if our earlier examination is true, that we are already in heaven, then just what is going on? Verses 1 through 4 deal with the opening of the first four seals. We notice also that four horsemen are revealed and set loose upon the earth with various calamities. When the fifth seal was opened, John saw under the altar the souls of those who had been violently killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony they had given, found in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Then, as chapter 6 nears closing, we read about the sixth seal being opened. As a result, a huge earthquake took place. The sun became as black as sackcloth made of hair, and the full moon became blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth like a fig tree dropping its unripe figs when shaken by a fierce wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. From Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. So, nothing here, as some have claimed, that say we are taken up into heaven here in chapter 6. There is no scripture in the book of Revelation that tells us such an event occurs at this time. Not even a very obscure comment that would need proper interpretation. This means, if our current thought is true, where do people get that notion of Christ catching us up from this earth seemingly found in Revelation chapter 6? Simply, it just is not there. In chapter 7, the first thing we noticed is the seventh seal opening does not yet happen. We see this chapter open with the sealing of the 144,000. Then, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, we read this, So I said to him, My Lord, you know the answer. Then he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Again, without any catching up or rapture event mentioned thus far, it appears people are already found in heaven. As a result, we need to examine this further. Just what is going on here? If we first examine the twelve tribes of Israel, Scripture tells us these tribes are Jewish people. Chapter 7, verse 4 tells us, Now I heard the number of those who were marked with the seal, 144,000, sealed from all the tribes of the people of Israel. Then verses 5 through 8. So, if we do the math, we see that 144,000 total are marked with a seal and broken into 12,000 people per each of the 12 tribes. This tells us that it is a specific group of people who are marked with a special seal. These people are Jewish. 
Now, notice verse 9. It reads, After these things I looked, and here was an enormous crowd that no one could count, made up of persons from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb dressed in long white robes and with palm branches in their hands. This, therefore, has to be a reference to all of us who are saved and risen in Christ already in heaven. Based on what we studied earlier about an enormous crowd of people numbering 10,000 times 10,000, thousands times thousands, this, at the very least, sounds like the same multitude of people mentioned elsewhere that we have already uncovered. With that connection, we can only conclude that this group of innumerable people and the previously mentioned group of people mentioned in chapter 5 are one in the same group. Let us see if this is a true observation. Revelation chapter 7 verse 14 reads, So I said to him, My Lord, you know the answer. Then he said to me, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This would seem contrary to what we have already learned about us being in heaven already. This also shows how just taking one verse can cause us to assume something that is not meant to be conveyed by the writer. So, first, let us read the entire context before we dig deeper into verse 14. Understand, too, if there is any catching up of people from the first half of the tribulation period, this could be possibly prophetic words to that point. Nonetheless, what does this passage tell us? Let us read the full context, starting with verse 9, to eliminate any confusion. After these things I looked, and here was an enormous crowd that no one could count, made up of persons from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in long white robes and with palm branches in their hands. They were shouting out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, and to the one seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood there in a circle around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they threw themselves down with their faces to the ground before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen! Praise and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These dressed in long white robes, who are they and where have they come from? So I said to him, My Lord, lowercase l, meaning respect. My Lord, you know the answer. Then he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. 
They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and the one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will never go hungry or be thirsty again, and the sun will not beat down on them, nor any burning heat, because the Lamb in the middle of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. From Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. This ends this chapter, and then chapter 8 is where the seventh seal is opened. So, in chapter 7, verse 14, in context, appears to be an affirmation of verse 9, giving greater explanation of God saved in Christ already being in heaven. Commentary tells us, when further examining verse 14, These are they which came out of great tribulation. The word rendered tribulation is a word of general character, meaning affliction, though perhaps there is here an allusion to persecution. The sense, however, would be better expressed by the phrase great trials. The object seems to have been to set before the mind of the apostle a view of those who had suffered much and who by their sufferings had been sanctified and prepared for heaven in order to encourage those who might be yet called to suffer. From Barnes New Testament Notes Notice what commentary said. The word rendered tribulation is a word of general character, meaning affliction, though perhaps there is here an allusion to persecution. So, with that downplay of the word tribulation, just what does that word mean? Tribulation means great affliction, trial or distress, suffering, an experience that tests one's endurance, patience, or faith. It is a cause of distress, a state of suffering or distress, grievous trouble, severe trial or suffering, an instance of this, an affliction, trouble, or woe. From the Free Dictionary by Farlex. Further, it means, in Scripture, it often denotes the troubles and distresses which proceed from persecution. From Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary of American English. This tells us that any time we suffer woes, times of trial, or any other form of suffering, we are in a form of tribulation. This is why the seven-year tribulation period is commonly called the Great Tribulation. This specific seven-year period of time is a period of suffering, tribulation, like no other on earth since it was first created. Here, in today's pre-tribulation times, the words affliction and persecution are very much true. These two words describe very well the type of troubles we suffer here in this world today when living and witnessing for God. Further, we read in the book of Revelation, 
Their robes were washed in the blood of the Lamb. That is symbolic language for the fact that this group had their sins forgiven because they were washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now, commentary tells us about these robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There is some incongruity in saying that they had made them white in the blood of the Lamb, and the meaning, therefore, must be that they had cleansed or purified them in that blood. Under the ancient ritual, various things about the sanctuary were cleansed from ceremonial defilement by the sprinkling of blood on them, the blood of sacrifice. In accordance with that usage, the blood of the Lamb, of the Lord Jesus, is said to cleanse and purify. John sees a great company with white robes, the means by which it is said they became white or pure is the blood of the Lamb. It is not said that they were made white as a result of their sufferings or their afflictions, but by the blood of the Lamb. The course of thought here is such that it would be natural to suppose that if at any time the great deeds or the sufferings of the saints could contribute to the fact that they will wear white robes in heaven, this is an occasion on which there might be such a reference. But there is no allusion to that. It is not by their own sufferings and trials, their persecutions and sorrows, that they were made holy, but by the blood of the Lamb that had been shed for sinners. This reference to the blood of the Lamb is one of the incidental proofs that occur so frequently in the scriptures of the reality of the atonement. It could be only in allusion to that, and with an implied belief in that, the blood of the Lamb could be referred to as cleansing the robes of the saints in heaven. If he shed his blood merely as other men have done, if he died only as a martyr, what propriety would there have been in referring to his blood more than to the blood of any other martyr? And what influence could the blood of any martyr have in cleansing the robes of the saints in heaven? The fact is that if that were all, such language would be unmeaning. It is never used except in connection with the blood of Christ, and the language of the Bible everywhere is such as would be employed on the supposition that he shed his blood to make expiation for sin and on no other supposition. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. So, it is important to note here, Jesus shed his blood for us on this planet Earth. This is what this commentary passage is saying for Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. So we can only assume that this passage is talking about those saved on Earth and somehow taken to heaven. Now, notice verse 15. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, 
and the one seated on the throne will shelter them. Keep in mind, we are still talking about this innumerable group of people. Notice further, the reason why they are there is to be traced to the fact that the Lamb shed his blood to make expiation for sin. No other reason can be given why any one of the human race is in heaven. And that is reason enough why any of that race are there. From Barnes' New Testament Notes Did you hear that last sentence in Barnes' New Testament Notes? Again, no other reason can be given why any one of the human race is in heaven. We now see what we have already seen. God's people from planet Earth is, in fact, in heaven. This is the most firm written notice of that fact. And it is found in the book of Revelation. So, the bottom line here is, the book of Revelation does not speak of us being captured up into heaven as in the rapture or catching up of God's people. The book of Revelation speaks of God's people already present in heaven. If so, I will ask the question yet one more time. How did we get there? Again, if we are reading and interpreting Scripture correctly, we have already been caught up by Jesus into heaven. The rapture or catching up before the tribulation period begins before the book of Revelation begins to be fulfilled, and it is our only explanation thus far. Next week, we will examine more scripture to see if there is any mention of an ascension into heaven since the date and time. We see from examining the book of Revelation that we are already in heaven. If so, and if we can find the answers we are looking for, how and when did we get there? What we know now is that we are taken up at or just before the time that everything in the book of Revelation starts moving from prophetic words to becoming fact. The most we are told of this day is to watch and pray. Yet, maybe, there are some answers here worth finding to help us better understand this subject. Join us next week when we look to get more answers. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. Also, please check our show notes for links to our website and other information you may want to know. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched, currently an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all.
If you are visiting for the first time, welcome and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Thank you all so much. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. So, you should be able to find us on a platform you like. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sunday's U.S. East Coast time zone. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh, many sooner than others. Our website is located at this internet address, unchurched.site123.me. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.